Last year, I, I had the chance to do something that I've never done before. I went to Estonia. We visited our missionaries there with several members here uh, from McDermott. I'd never flown across the ocean before. I was thinking about poor Kevin Mims. He had to sit beside me on a transatlantic flight. I mean, y'all, y'all, you, you just had to put up with me for like 30 minutes at a time. Can you imagine 10 hours beside me uh, in an airplane? So poor Kevin uh, that had to do that. But I, it, it still is amazing to me that human beings can get in a long metal tube with wings and fly to the other side of the world. Isn't that pretty amazing? And I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about, you know, it seems, it seems impossible, but I, I can't even imagine what it was like before the Wright brothers, you know, flew in that airplane, how impossible back then it would have seemed that this air travel thing was even a possibility. And I, I can't even imagine the way that the, the Wright brothers or all of those around that time period who were trying to get this thing off the ground, no, no pun, in, I guess the pun wasn't in it, but you know, I, I can't even imagine what it was like for them and, and the way that everybody must have thought, this is impossible, why are you wasting your life chasing this dream? Why are you doing all of these things? Why are you making the sacrifices that you're making? Why are you doing the things that you're doing? But but now we look back at it and we're glad that they lived that extraordinary life and accomplished something extraordinary because really that's, that's what happens when extraordinary people accomplish extraordinary things. It's because they can see a vision that other people can't see. They're willing to make sacrifices that other people aren't willing to make. To live an extraordinary life, you must be motivated by a vision that others don't see, right? The reason why you're willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do and sacrifice things that others aren't willing to sacrifice is because you can see a vision of a future that other people don't see. And apparently people like the Wright brothers could see a future where air travel was possible. And because they could see that vision where other people couldn't see that vision, they were motivated to do things that others weren't willing to do and sacrifice things that others weren't willing to sacrifice, right? And, and as Christians, the gospel calls us to live an extraordinary life. Doesn't Jesus call us to live an extraordinary life? To do things that others aren't willing to do and to make sacrifices that others aren't willing to sacrifice, in fact, so much so that other people would look at the Christian life, the life to which we're called, and they say, that's crazy. Why in the world would you do those kind of things? Why would you live that kind of life? Why would you sacrifice those kind of things? And it's because we have a vision. We can see a future that perhaps other people don't see. And that's what this series this month is all about, is what motivates us to do the things that we ought to do. What moves us to make the decisions that Jesus calls us to make, to make the sacrifices Jesus calls us to make? What's fueling our life? And one of the things that ought to be fueling our life, we talked about last week, is the mercies of God. Because God has been so merciful and gracious to us to forgive us all of our sins. But another thing that should motivate us is the vision of the future. 
that we can see the vision that the gospel gives us. And because we can see what the future holds, because we know what's coming, it moves us and motivates us to live an extraordinary life, to do things that other people aren't willing to do, and to sacrifice things that other people aren't willing to sacrifice. So let's look at a text, and we're going to work our way all the way to the end of 1 Corinthians 15, but I want to start in verse 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. Paul says, If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So this really gets at the heart of what Paul is talking about in this text. And all throughout 1 Corinthians, he's really dealing with lots of different issues and problems that are going on in Corinth. And one of the problems that's going on in Corinth is that there are some people in the church there that say there is no resurrection of the dead. Now, they don't, they don't mean Jesus isn't resurrected. They just mean that there's not a resurrection coming for all of God's people. And, and so Paul's argument revolves around Jesus to say, if it's true that there is no coming resurrection, then, then how can we say that Jesus is resurrected? Because if there's no resurrection, then even Jesus himself isn't resurrected. That's the implication of the false teaching that's going on there. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ was not raised, then our preaching is, I want you to think about these words, in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, and even not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, what? Futile. And you are still in your sin. So think about those words that he uses, in vain or futile. If, if all of this isn't true, if resurrection isn't true, if Jesus hasn't been raised, then your faith is in vain. It's futile. It's a waste of time, right? I mean, think about yeah, the Wright brothers. If air travel wasn't possible, if it was impossible, as it probably seemed at the time, to get into a big metal tube and fly across the world, and, and if it was true that that's impossible, then everything, then everything that they were doing to try to accomplish that would have been in vain. It would have been futile. If everything you're chasing is actually impossible, then it's in vain. It's futile. But because air travel was possible, then everything that they were doing wasn't in vain. Now, I want us to think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying if, if this whole resurrection idea that eventually you... When you die, you will not stay dead, but that when Jesus comes, you will be raised from the dead. If that's, if that's untrue, then everything that you're doing in your faith, because of your faith, is a waste of time. So, so that, that begs the question, doesn't it? What percentage, think about this question for a second, what percentage of your daily life would be completely futile in vain if the resurrection was not true. Paul says everything that you're doing in pursuing Jesus, 
Everything that you're doing in faith and by faith is futile and is in vain if the resurrection isn't true. So that should make us ask the question, well, what, what am I doing that only makes sense in light of the coming resurrection? What am I doing that if this wasn't true, it would be futile and in vain? Because we know, of course, that Paul is arguing that it's not futile. It's not in vain. You're pursuing something that's very real, that will come to fruition. But shouldn't we stop and ask ourselves, what are those things? What are the things that we're doing that only make sense in light of the gospel? What percentage of our life only makes sense? If this is true, what percentage of our life would be futile if the resurrection was not true? Because if we're honest, a lot of us would have to say a very little percent. Right? How much of your life is spent pursuing and doing things that only make sense in light of the resurrection? Paul says, if you're living the Christian life, if your faith and your drive is to pursue Jesus and all the things that revolve around Jesus, then your life is a waste and it's futile and it's in vain if the resurrection isn't true. So is that true of our lives? That we are so invested in the gospel, we are so invested in the resurrection that so much of our life would be futile if it wasn't true. Look at verse 18. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the gospel isn't true, then life is just brief and death is permanent, right? If the gospel isn't true, then life is just brief and death is permanent. But if the gospel is true, then death is brief and life is permanent. Think about that for a second. If the gospel is true, then death is brief and life is permanent. Look at what he says. If those who have fallen asleep, because the gospel is true, we believe that those who are in Christ have just fallen asleep. And the implication there being, if they've just fallen asleep, eventually they'll wake up. There'll be a resurrection. But he says, if the gospel isn't true, then those who have fallen asleep have just perished. Life is brief and death is permanent. But in Christ, we believe that death is brief. It's just a, a temporary interruption. And that the life to come is a permanent and immortal life. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So here's the facts. No more ifs. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So after the Wright brothers flew their plane, it should seem a whole lot less impossible that that was possible, right? It's like, okay, well now it's been proved. Right before, you might have thought, I don't know. I mean, that seems like a whole, maybe you're wasting your life and you're just wasting your time. But after it happened, it's proven. There's no more ifs. And Paul says the resurrection has already happened in Jesus. 
He's the first fruits of what's to come. So now you know you're not wasting your life. You know that your faith is not in vain or futile. You know that the dead in Christ will rise. You know that for those that are in Christ Jesus, death is brief and life permanent. You know it because it's already happened in Jesus. Now skip down to verse 30. Why are we in danger every hour? Again, Paul's talking about his life that he's living. Why why would I do this? Why would I be in danger as a missionary going all over the world, putting my life on the line? Why why would I do that? Why would the people that come with me and, and, and teach and preach the gospel, why would we do this? I protest, my brothers, but by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. I, I risk my life every single day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let's just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Why, why would I do what I do? Why would I risk my life? Why would I be beaten? Why would I be stoned? Why would I allow myself to be thrown into prison? Why would I put my life on the line every single day? Why would I allow myself to be thrown in with wild beasts at Ephesus if this resurrection thing wasn't true? If this resurrection thing isn't true, let's just have a party because life is brief brief and death is permanent. But if this is true, we ought to risk our lives for Jesus. Look at, I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. It says this, why do you think I keep risking my neck in this dangerous work? I look death in the face practically every day I live. Do you think I'd do this if, it was, if I wasn't convinced of your resurrection and mine as guaranteed by the resurrected Messiah Jesus? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Would I do this if I wasn't convinced? I cannot really ever die. I cannot really ever die. For me, death isn't permanent. Life is because of Jesus. And it's proved, it's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus that if you are in him, you cannot really die. When you die, you're just asleep for a little while and then Jesus will raise you up and Paul says because I believe that that's why I put my life on the line every single day think about what Paul did he went all over the world he threw away his career he threw away his friends he went all over the world he risked his life he got thrown into prison he was stoned he was whipped he was beaten eventually the Romans beheaded him and he was thankful to have that life excited to have that life why it's as he says humanly speaking it's crazy it's crazy to live like that it's crazy to allow yourself to be thrown to wild beasts it's crazy to allow yourself to be in prison it's crazy to allow yourself to be be beaten unless Unless you have a vision of the future that says every single bit of this is worth it. Look at chapter 15 and verse 51. 
verse 51. Here's the vision that Paul has of the future. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We, we won't all die. But we shall all be changed, transformed, go through a metamorphosis. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. This is Paul's vision of the future. What Paul knows for a fact is going to happen. And not only did Paul have this vision of the future, he insisted that the church in Corinth have this vision of the future. That someday, a trumpet will sound when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and immortal with permanent life. And this drove Paul to do everything that he did. And he insisted that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it is essential that you have this vision of the future as well. And the same is true for us, isn't it? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's essential that you have this vision of the future as well. Verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Isn't that good? What you are now is mortal. What you are now is perishable. What you are now in the flesh, in Adam, is you're living a life that seems brief, like a vapor that appears for a short while and then it's gone. But the guarantee in Jesus is that those who are mortal, those who are perishable, will put on immortality, will put on imperishability. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot lose. We cannot lose. And this coming from a man who has spent time in prison for preaching Jesus, who has spent time being beaten for preaching Jesus, who has been stoned for preaching Jesus, who would be murdered for preaching Jesus. And he says that in Jesus we have what? Victory. Victory is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 58. So all of that was just introduction, okay? So now, now the text. Verse 58. Therefore... Therefore, all of our texts, this series, are all going to be therefore passages. Therefore, Paul fills, fills them up with the gospel. He fills their tank. All of this truth, all of this vision about the future. For you who are in Christ Jesus, death is brief and life is permanent. Therefore, because of that, based on that, in view of that, in light of that, built on that foundation. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding 
in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, that's, that's where he wants to get to, right? He wants to get to this, like the practical stuff. Here's what you ought to do. Here's how you ought to live. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get busy. Do what you need to do. Tell your neighbors about Jesus. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Love your brothers and sisters. Serve people. Help people. Do good in the world. Why? Why? Because you know what's coming. You say, but Paul, some people, they don't like us talking about Jesus. Some people don't put up with that Jesus stuff. And there are places in the world then, and there are places in the world now where not only people don't like us talking about Jesus, but they won't put up with people talking about Jesus. There are places in the world where even if a child, a teenager, or a young person becomes a follower of Jesus, their family will abandon them. Some places in the world where their family might kill them because they are following Jesus. And Paul says, in light of the future, in light of what we know for sure, don't stop. Don't give up. Put the pedal to the metal. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Church, the world needs missionaries. The world needs missionaries. It's our job to be sending people into the world. We need people who will share the gospel in war-torn countries. We need people who will share the gospel in terrorist-controlled countries. We need people who will share the gospel in prisons. We need people who will share the gospel in the inner city. We need people who will share the gospel in places where it's dangerous. We need people who will share the gospel in spite of the risks. We have to be raising a generation, church, we have to be raising a generation of Christians who are fearless, who will go into the world and preach the gospel, motivated by what? Fueled by what? The money they'll get from it? Nope. There ain't no money in it. Right? Fueled by the truth that Paul is laying out here. That in Christ you are victorious. And they may arrest you. And they may beat you. And they may kill you. But for us who are in Christ Jesus, death is brief and life is permanent. I think the greatest hindrance to the spread of the gospel is fear. I think the greatest hindrance to the spread of the gospel is fear. Stay safe, stay close, stay comfortable, stay secure, hold on. Stay here. Don't take risks. But church, that, that's not what I read in, in Acts. We're studying Acts in our Sunday morning Bible classes, aren't we? That's not what I hear Jesus telling his apostles right before he left. Go into the whole world. Go into the world. 
and proclaim the good news to all creation. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Death has been vanquished. The sting of death has been removed. Don't be afraid of what they can do to your body. Don't be afraid of the one who can kill your body. Only fear the one who can kill both body and soul in hell. Don't be afraid. Fear not, for I am with you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. The only thing that's going to fuel a church with that kind of fearlessness, with that kind of faith, is this kind of vision that says, in Christ Jesus, we are already victorious. It terrifies me. Can I be honest? It terrifies me. Losing my son as a dad. I can't imagine how scary it would be if my sons said, I want to preach the gospel somewhere where it's illegal. I want to go over to some other place where I might die for proclaiming the gospel. But, but if I don't say, God speed, son. God speed, son. God go with you. Send them on that way if that be their decision. Then can I really say I believe this? That I believe that the gospel is worth dying for. That we need men and women who will rise up and be fearless. And teach the gospel here and there and everywhere. Because we believe that in Christ Jesus we are already victorious. Jesus wants people who are motivated by a vision of victory. What if? What if we had that in our head? That the future is not only bright, it's glorious, gloriously bright. The future is perfect. The future is resurrection. The future is a place where righteousness dwells. The future is we are victorious and we cannot lose. If we really believe that, imagine how generous we could be. Because we can't hold on to any of it, can we? Imagine how fearless we could be. Imagine how faithful we could be in taking the next step to share the gospel in our community and share the gospel in our world. This vision of victory, this vision of resurrection, this vision of God and Jesus and his people reigning forever and ever, this is what fuels missions. And it not only fuels missions, it fuels mission life, a life of living the mission of God, doesn't it? This is why. This is why we can get through the dark times. This is why we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because we believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And because of his resurrection, we know that ours is coming next. We have this vision of victory and it fuels and it should fuel everything we do. So ask yourself again. What percentage of your life would be futile 
What percentage of your life would be in vain if the resurrection weren't true? What percentage of your life, to ask it the other way around, what percentage of your life only makes sense in light of the truth of the gospel? What percentage of your life only makes sense if the resurrection is true? For Paul, it would be pretty close to 100%, right? Or maybe like 90%. He would probably still eat. He'd probably still sleep. He'd prob- there's a few things he'd probably still do. But there's no way in the world he'd allow himself to be thrown to the wild beasts at Ephesus. There's no way in the world he'd allow himself to be arrested. There's no way he would be beaten and stoned and shipwrecked. There's no way he would have been put on trial and die in Rome if he wasn't absolutely convinced that death is brief and life is permanent in Christ Jesus. I want to be the kind of person that the vast majority of my life, the vast majority of my decisions only make sense in light of the coming resurrection. That only makes sense in light of the gospel. Let's allow this gospel vision, this vision of victory, to move us, motivate us, fuel us to go and take the next step by faith, whatever that next step may be. Maybe your next step is putting Jesus on in baptism. Maybe your next step is asking for prayers. Maybe your next step is confessing something that's going on in your life. Maybe your next step is just saying, I need somebody to walk beside me. We'd love to help you any way we can. You can come forward as we stand and sing.